Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Forward Thinking Podcast. It's Chrissy here from CSTU. Today, I'm joined by Brianna Valeski. Uh, she's the head of content at Inscribe. And I first met Brianna probably like I, th- I was trying to think about it, Brianna like maybe three years ago um, at one of Women in Revenue's first events. And uh, since then, have had the pleasure of working alongside her, um, producing content uh, when she was at Sendoso. Um, and I thought it would be great to have Brianna on to talk about brand and the importance of building brand and how you measure that. And I think that that's a big topic right now across B2B marketers. And I think a lot of marketing ops folks are also like a little bit scratching their head and confused. <laughs> like, how do I be a partner to my team that's creating content and building brand and helping them really see the insights that they need and report on it and also, you know, what the value is. So thanks, Brianna, for joining us today. Thank you, Chrissy. I am so excited to be here today. Uh, and it's it's great to be chatting with you, especially I know we've uh, I've actually had you in some of our content at Sendoso, <laughs> as you mentioned, uh, you hosted one of our masterclasses. So it's exciting and awesome to be collaborating with you again and kind of be on the other end of it. Yeah, perfect. Um, cool. Well, to kick it off, so I, I mentioned um, Brianna had worked at uh, Sendoso, and when she was there, I was always just like really impressed by you, Brianna, and like the the just the content <laughs> machine, and even just being slotted into it. I was like, wow, this is amazing! Like just doing the master class was just you know really great, and it, the whole process was seamless. And I've always was, you know, a big fan of like the brand and for full transparency, Sendoso was one of our, is one of our clients. And so we got to see the back end too, um, of everything, but, you know, I just thought, you know, ever since then, I'm like, okay, she gets it. She's got it. So, um, so to kick it off, I, I just want you to give a little bit about your background because you have a really strong background in content and content creation and brand and how you got into, the world of that and then also into the world of B2B. Yeah, happy to. Um, so my my passion or obsession like in life is is helping the world tell better stories. I am fascinated by and like have dedicated my career to really the the art and the science of of writing, of storytelling and content. Um, I actually started my career in journalism, which is not too uncommon for for content yeah. marketers nowadays, but have spent the last decade or so in content production, marketing strategy, um, mainly at B2B SaaS companies. Um, I've helped, I love startups. I have helped scale startups from seed to series C and beyond, um, as well as work with my own clients, like locally, nationally, internationally. Um, my tech experience kind of spans the gamut, actually, from recruiting tech and real estate tech to sales tech, martech, and even fintech. Um, mm. And then, of course, as you mentioned, I was um, also uh, recently the director of corporate marketing at Sendoso, which is a ascending platform, and it's a little bit of martech and sales tech. Um, mm-hmm. I am really energized by like helping companies grow through through owning the market narrative and using brand to drive demand. Um, and I actually just joined a company about two months ago called Inscribe as the head of content. As you mentioned, uh, we help companies in the financial services industry go faster by automating document reviews and dramatically improving their fraud detection using artificial intelligence. So um, it's really exciting. And of course, as I mentioned, I'm excited to be here with you today. 
Yeah, perfect. Um, I think more and more as I, you know, building out CS2 and we, you know, our content just became like kind of natural. It's like, okay, I want to do a podcast. And then it took me like two years to go with Charlie, like to do a podcast. And then we finally did it when I was like 10 months pregnant, which is like the worst time. But (laughs) um, I... And most recently, I found that there's just so many benefits for a strong brand mm. and storytelling for a company. Um, I think one of those benefits is obviously, you know, getting that like market visibility and like mm. the, um, you know, telling the story, making sure that like the market understands like, you know, basically what you do and get bought into your brand. And it's very natural. It's not so much of this like barrier of um, understanding that, but then, and then garnering fans, right? Like the, the mm-hmm. value of garnering fans and, and garnering fans that are, you know, really supportive fans and really mm-hmm. loyal fans and, you know, just all the content like you produce resonates with them. Like I'm one of uh, the, I feel really strongly, I think Tim Ferriss talks about it, but it's like this having like a thousand like fans yeah. um, can like drive a business, especially if they're like really loyal fans more than just maybe, um, you know, 10,000 like, you know, people who are just watching your brand. Um, and so, but then on the other side, I think it can really benefit hiring, which I think for mm. right now, mm-hmm. I think in this like great resignation, I think a lot of people look at the brand for a company to see like, Oh, is this the type of brand I want to work for? Or Mm -hmm. like, is it really clear or, Oh, they're thought leaders in their space. That's really interesting. I want to be part of that mission and, and so forth. So I want to hear from you really like what, you know, what does brand recognition awareness mean? to B2B marketers and what do you, why do you think that they should care? Like what are the main benefits of that? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I love what you just said about how brand is so critical for both, you know, bringing in and keeping your customers, but also employees because people want to be associated with with products and services and companies that align with their values. And, And when you purchase a product, it's almost like integrating it or join a company, you're integrating it into your identity as a person. So it's it's almost mm. like a very personal choice. Um, but when I take a step back and just think about brand awareness and recognition, you know, at the very basic level, it's it's about letting people know that you exist and making sure yeah. that they they remember you, they remember what you do, how you're different and why you matter. Um, and And then I mean, Brand awareness is how you bring leads and prospects and buyers and candidates into your, you know, sales yeah. or, or recruiting funnel. There's no demand generation without brand awareness. Um, you can't help people understand why they want or need what you have to offer if you don't first put their brand uh, or put your brand, excuse me, into their consciousness. Um, and then it also, I mean, brand is also kind of like a a full life cycle function. It's it's not just about getting on their radar. It's about continually showing up. Um, the mere exposure effect, it's the psychological phenomenon where people tend to develop like an affinity or preference for things just because they're familiar with them. Um, it's also sometimes called the familiarity principle. Uh, so the more that people mm. are actually exposed to your brand, yeah, the more they'll favor it, which is cool because that means that like brand marketing is sort of backed by science. Or I think it's cool because I'm really <laughs> nerdy and love science. Um, 
But then, you know, you don't need science to tell you that you want to buy from companies, brands, and people that you like. Once you've got brand awareness, you can build that brand affinity that you started talking about too by continuing to nurture relationships with people uh, so that when it comes to choosing between you, your competitor, you rise to the top. And and then finally, even after you have customers, uh, that's where brand loyalty comes into play. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's how you keep them as customers. Um, so, I mean, really, like I said, it's like brand marketing helps get people in the funnel. It moves them along. It converts them to customers and uh, really helps keep them with you in the long term. Totally. One thing that I've I've noticed uh, in in B2B and I think it's changing, but I think a lot of the times that people just think of brand as like, you know, their logo, their yeah. colors, their, you know, just like these very like shallow things of like, oh, this is what our website looks like. But there's a lot more to that. And I think the key thing that you're talking about um, is storytelling mm-hmm. and why that's really important. And like, Really, the brand is also the narrative behind behind it, like mm-hmm. behind the brand. And um, in your in your experience with like different uh, companies, especially startups, like where do you feel like they start to really understand and invest in their brand? And and maybe also when do you think that they should uh, uh, do that? Yeah. Wow. Um <sighs> I would say that you kind of tend to see two different schools of thought for startups Mm -hmm. where either they don't think about brand for a really long time or they're trying to invest in brand right away. And honestly, I mean, I don't ever think there's a one size fits all answer for any, any, anything for anybody in life, first of all, but specifically for, for growing companies. I think whether you want to invest in your brand, like at a specific stage, really depends on the resources you have to bring that brand to life. So if you're an Mm. early stage startup and you don't have any marketing people yet, maybe it's not the best thing to try and invest in like a branding agency um, to to like really build this amazing brand because you just don't have those internal resources who can be fully dedicated to helping not just craft that, but, you know, as you mentioned with like how your podcast came to light, your brand should be very natural. It should come from Mm -hmm. who your company is, what your culture is, who your customers are and what their lives are like and, and what kind of uh, feelings and emotions and and personality and vibe they're going to gravitate towards. So I would say it depends on the, the resources that you have internally and just also your strategy. Like if you're a very engineering focused company and you want to spend four years, like getting your product right in stealth mode before you bring it to market, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, Mm -hmm. But if you're also a company that feels like you have a really powerful story to tell, you're investing in marketing, you have those internal stakeholders who can be the, the sort of, uh, 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 sorcerer, crafter, and guardian of that brand, then maybe that is the right decision for you. So I think that in and of itself is a very strategic decision that startups do have to make at an early stage. Totally. Um, what a, I, I think before we get into, I want to hear some of the misconceptions on what brand is, but like before we get into that, what are some of the key activities that you think are kind of like a a great place to start if you're looking to mm-hmm. once you have your story right like once mm-hmm. you have maybe developed brand like what are some channels or activities that you can do 
to really promote that brand. And also, how does the company as a whole, like your employees, like how can they play a role in that? Because mm. I think from my perspective, when I look at some um, some other B2B brands, and I think it depends, right? Like on who you're targeting and like what your narrative is. But the ones where I see a lot of, you know, employees um, that are engaging in the conversations or being ambassadors or like even customers being part of that, like I really feel like that feels it, kind of what you're saying, familiarity, because mm. you just see it more often. But first, like, what are some of the key activities that you think would be great to explore to help build upon that brand? And how does the, how can you also include employees or customers into that? Yeah, yeah. Um, really good question. So brand channels, I, I usually like to start just thinking about super, super top of funnel, even pre-funnel um, before mm. someone fills out a form on your website, things like PR. I know a lot of companies feel like it might be sort of, um, I don't know, like an, an old school channel or, or activity to go after, but there is a mm -hmm. ton of value in it because that's one way that you can really disperse your story and get it out into the market. No, you're not going to get a Wall Street Journal or a New York Times placement every quarter. Um, but there are a ton of trade publications. There are online blogs. There are podcasts where you can go on and really mm -hmm. be the, um, what's the thing in media? Well, God, please edit this on the podcast. <laughs> um, there, there are a lot of, you know, uh, there are a lot of trade publications, a lot of uh, uh, industry blogs, podcasts where you can go on and like be the town crier, be the evangelist for yeah. that story mm -hmm. that you're trying to tell. Um, mm -hmm. And and all of those placements have value. You never know when someone's going to pick up something. You usually get a pretty, pretty okay, juicy SEO backlink to your website from it. And then it mm -hmm. also really allows you to utilize some of your other brand channels like social media to publish those news articles because then it's showing mm -hmm. like, here's validation that other people want to hear from us and think that we have a valuable story to tell. So I think PR is, is definitely worth it. If you're not going to hire an actual internal PR person, don't be afraid to work with an agency, but do do your due diligence that that agency is actually also going to put in uh, the same amount of effort to understand your story. So they know when to reach out to reporters and what types of stories to engage with them in. Um, so PR is a great place to start. Social media, of course, it's it's loud, it is noisy, but it is also, you know, if your website is your digital storefront, then mm -hmm. social media is your promoter handing out <laughs> little placards telling people to to come to your party. Um, and it's, it's a, I mean, obviously it doesn't cost anything. Uh, there are tools that can tell you like what your earned media value is for what you would need the, to pay to get that kind of reach. And you don't need, you don't need to be posting all day, every day. It's just yeah. more of like, have, have somewhat of a regular cadence, post a blog, uh, promote a blog post once a week, publish a picture of your company outing once a week, you know, mm -hmm. um, do a poll and just try to start building some traction there because that'll also, in addition to getting your content out there, providing you an opportunity to build an audience and engage with it, it also really helps you practice and refine yeah. a lot of your voice and your tone and how you're going to go out to the market. And you can actually like do experiments to see like what kind of content is resonating with our audiences. Mm. Um, and yeah. then the last one, 
Sorry, I could talk about this all day. Um, no, I love it. Keep going. I love all of it. Um, I mean, I think the last one that I usually think of as a really powerful brand awareness channel is is SEO. Um, of course, you can yeah. do things like print ads or billboards, but you you usually need a little, you need more budget for those types of yeah, things. Definitely a little bit more budget. A <laughs> little bit more budget. Um, uh, and, and usually a little bit more um, uh advanced, you know, marketing operations set up so that you can make sure that you have the proper traction or tracking, excuse me, when you yeah. bring people from those offline sources to online sources. But um, SEO, it's not dead. It's still alive. People are searching on Google every single day and they are searching for answers to their questions. They are searching mm-hmm. for solutions on the market and they're searching for you specifically, generally. So I mean, everything from top of funnel, educational content, just best practices that can help your audience, uh, whether it relates to your product or not. I mean, obviously you want it to be in the same realm. I'm not going to write, you know, if I'm selling software, I'm not going to write content about how to buy shoes. I'm not fashionable anyway, either. So I wouldn't, but, um, (laughs) you know, uh, making sure that you have a good mix of top of funnel evergreen resources so that when they're searching for those answers, you show up right away on page one search results and people are like, oh, this company knows something that's interesting. And then that's also like how you start planting the seed for the mere exposure effect, because it starts with the search engine result. They go to your website once, then they leave. Later, they see you on social media. Another time they see you're going to be speaking at an event. So SEO, it's I mean, it's free. It's another thing where you can have huge cost savings. You don't have to pay for the AdWords. Um, and there's a ton of ROI. So uh, I would absolutely say those are the top three brand channels that I would recommend anyone who's getting started or even if you're still really advanced in your strategy, something that you should continue to invest in. Um, yeah, no, I think that's great. I think I think brand is is getting it's like moment it deserves again right now I feel like I think a lot of people are realizing in order well one like just to make it through a pivot with a pandemic or also break through the noise in this like market like you said it can be a bit noisy like everywhere right like it's paid ads it's harder to get people's attention there's just all these places where it's like harder to get people's attention but realizing when you have a strong brand and when you have that familiarity when you have when you're leading with content that really resonates with your audience like that just makes your cost of acquisition go down Mm -hmm. and some of those activities like don't cost a lot some do and are are really hard to track the ROI on but I always say like okay as long as you can We'll get to KPIs later, but like mm-hmm. I think what really brand does is less about like bringing it is about bringing you revenue, but I think the cost of acquisition will go mm-hmm. down. So it's saving you money as well because mm-hmm. does it you don't have to invest so much money now just to bring people to the table to show them your content or bring them to your website and start that like blind date. They're really like seeing you, they're noticing you, they're understanding you. um, And it makes that relationship like heat up, you know, without having to invest all that money ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So the next thing I wanted to talk about was just kind of some misconceptions about brand. And I think like this, (laughs) it's probably like a note, 
a notice to everyone but i think some people like don't realize like what brand is like i was talking Mm -hmm. about like they think oh that's like our logo or but also what are some of the misconceptions that you maybe see like people say about like brand and um or do from a brand perspective and 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 even as far as like not doing it because they feel like it doesn't matter could be one of them but what do you think are some of those misconceptions and especially b2b Ah, there, there are many. Um, and actually, the first one I'm going to start with is uh, related to uh, something that I, I didn't answer in your previous question, which is that, you know, the company itself is the only one who can be the, the, the uh, mm, yeah, uh, yeah, the voice of the brand. I mean, mm-hmm. every single person inside your organization is a representation of your brand is an ambassador of your brand. And so mm-hmm. uh, a huge misconception is, that you don't need to be taking the time to educate your company on the brand, on the mission, mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. the vision, because the more that you get them familiar with it, the more that they're going to be able to internalize it and then also express with their own personal take on it. And that's where you see a lot of companies who all of their employees are posting either about the software or just about their experience at the company or just their own thought leadership. And so Um, I think there's so much ROI that you can get from both educating people on the brand and then also uh, educating them on just how to be their own brand ambassadors. At Inscribe, we literally just rolled out our our social media like sharing process, which is really just like, here are great ideas for things you can post. Here are great examples from your colleagues of things they're posting. And and that's how you really give people the confidence to understand like, oh, it's okay. And my company wants me to post for them. And and that's where you get brands like Gong or Sixth Sense where you know you see their employees posting their own thought leadership and just talking about how they're using their product like in their day-to-day. And it's the most amazing like, <laughs> content marketing that you can imagine because it's so authentic and and so real. Um, and so employee advocacy is just a huge part of brand building that people, I feel like there's a huge misconception that you don't need to invest in it or it doesn't matter. Um, and then, of course, there's just the general misconception. I think that you kind of touched on that, that brand doesn't matter in B2B, which of course, you know, we know is not true. B2B buyers are still human beings, not soulless corporate entities. Yeah. They want they <laughs> want something that that gives them all the right feels and aligns with their values. Um, mm-hmm. There's also like a lot of misconceptions that brand marketing is this purely creative endeavor, like powered yeah. by random acts of artistry, I guess I would say. <laughs> um, and that's not true either. Brand building, um, I mean, all of marketing is creative, first of all, but then and all of sales, I would say too. Um, but brand building is also a very strategic and data-driven undertaking. Um, but yeah. then the biggest m- misconception about branding by far, in my opinion, is that you cannot measure it. Um, and that's yeah. that's simply not the case. Um, it's definitely not as easy to measure as other, you know, demand gen or marketing programs, um, but it is quite possible. Uh, and I'm excited for you and I, Chrissy, to debunk the myth that, you know, it can't be uh, measured right here on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's a great segue into my next question. But um, I wanted to talk about measurement and especially around like KPIs or data points that you track for mm-hmm. um, campaigns or marketing initiatives or brand, like maybe talk through maybe your structure um, of like how 
what you actually track and how you measure that? Mm. And what are some things that maybe you do more abstract kind of measurement on? Because I think in some cases, a lot of marketers, especially in marketing ops, like we, it's like, if it's not on a dashboard, I'm I'm not going <laughs> to measure it. Or if it's not like measurable, like let's not do it. And I think all of these like with very finite ways of thinking of like, mm. it has to be a certain way really limits us. Um, but yeah, t- talk me through maybe some KPIs or data points. And you can use an example of a certain type of campaign or a brand initiative, but would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, um, absolutely. I will, I'll go through some specific like brand and top of funnel metrics based on yeah. channels and then a couple of examples. Um, so of course, I, I mentioned PR. One of the first things that I like to tell people is like, uh, if you put out a press release, a lot of times whatever newswire service that you use will, something mm-hmm. like Cision, for example, it'll give you a visibility report with metrics like total reach, PR pick- pickups, et cetera, et cetera. And I might get a lot of hate from some PR people for saying this, but those metrics, um, in my opinion, actually don't matter. Um, basically, all that's looking at is the number of publications that have automatically published their press release. I'm sorry, your press release on their website. Mm. Um, And I don't know about you, but the last time I checked, you know, potential buyers are not digging through Yahoo News looking for a press release about you. Um, No. You should still put out press releases. Um, Each of those pickups, like I mentioned before, gives your website a little backlink juice for SEO. And when someone Googles your company name, it never hurts to have Google automatically like pull in a recent news hit at the top. Um, But ultimately you know, what you want to be measuring here is is placements, how many publications picked up your news release and actually wrote something about it themselves. Even if it's like a little news blurb, that's a reporter who saw your name, decided that it was newsworthy enough to actually write something about it. And um, Mm. that also builds the relationship with the reporter in the future um, in case you want to reach out to them with other news. Um, And the goal here, like, is really you want to make sure that you're putting out a, a constant drumbeat of news because like I said you're not always going to get those tier one pickups but pickups in tier two and trade publications are still super value you're super valuable your buyers and customers mm-hmm. are looking at trade publications um you know how do and, you typically track those placements like what do you what's yeah. the activity that you do to track them yeah so you can either um if you're you know if you are working with specific reporters about the news. Sometimes they'll let you know when it comes out and so you can check on the website. There are also a ton mm. of tools that you can use, like Meltwater that'll track your news placements, uh, as well as, you know, you don't need a ton of fancy tools. You can use Google Alerts, set up Google yeah. Alerts for your company name, your executives' names, your product names, and, you know, throw it throw it in a spreadsheet. And that's an easy way for you to make sure that you're tracking them. And, and the goal here is like, you know, you don't need to be getting a million pickups every time. You just want to see that when you put out an initiative, you're getting like uh, an increase. You know, you yeah. see more in a week over week, month over month, quarter over quarter increase. That's great. And then the way that you can really pack a punch is if you're able to, you know, tie your PR campaigns to a demand gen campaign as much as possible. So this is less about mm-hmm. your mm-hmm. ongoing thought leadership with PR and more about those specific uh lightning strike moments. So, um, 
an example I'll give is at, at Sendoso, we had an annual report that we would put out called the state of sending um, to demonstrate category leadership, educate the market, um, and then also generate demand. It was an actual report that you would fill out a form uh, to download on the website. And so for our 2021 edition, you know, we surveyed hundreds of people in our market, combined it with our own proprietary data, and then created a whole integrated campaign around it that included, you know, the ebook itself, a couple of promo materials like a video, but also going out to reporters with that proprietary data as a specific PR campaign. Mm-hmm. So then after, when we go back to our executive team, talking to them about this campaign, we're able to say it's been two months. We saw five organic media placements this is earned media that you don't have to pay for in trade publications where we know our buyers or customers are. Um, we got you know, almost 50 organic posts from employees, also educating them on what it is, empowering them with the ability to post it themselves uh, on social media. And then I can also say we got $600, 700000 you know, in pipeline and um, almost 4,000 organic social media impressions. So, wow. There, yeah. So there are ways that you can, you know, of course, it's like it's tough to correlate specific PR campaigns with specific revenue numbers, but there are ways that you can get creative to tie the whole campaign together to say, hey, we hit some of our brand awareness and demand gen goals with this campaign. Yeah, that's, I think it's key to think about like the demand gen campaign to tie to, especially for uh, companies that are more like really interested in being able to attract this success Mm -hmm. well, because there's that thing that you can tie people to taking people from like these different sources that you and then bringing them to your site or to a page that you own and being able now to track that. Um, But also one thing that I've really thought has been great about Sendoso, especially your time there, and I'm sure you're thinking about that too at your new company is just your multi-channel approach Mm -hmm. of, okay, how can we take this one campaign, but like really exhaust all of the channels that we have to promote it. And I think that a lot of, I see a lot of marketers like think of their campaigns as these like really singular Mm. activities. And still, even though we talk about multi-channel all the time and it seems very like, oh, it's a no brainer, but I still see that. And I also think that a lot of the times the length of which we look at the longevity of content or campaign needs to be redetermined. I think everyone Mm -hmm. has these like arbitrary Mm -hmm. like timelines in their head of like, oh, a campaign can only run a quarter or it needs to only be promoted once or via email or, oh, our our customers need to just, you know, that's old content. And I, I hate hearing things like that because that again is like very like finite thinking and just I think we make things harder for ourselves from a content perspective because like your familiarity that you're talking about, I think we think, oh, we put something into an ether or we try and target someone, they saw it. It's like, no, it takes like multiple, multiple like way, you know, channels to try and get in front of someone and actually get them to notice. Um, So I think the campaign part that you said is really key and maybe on that like from like a a measurement standpoint like how long are you tracking the success Mm -hmm. of like a campaign and um because i think that and like what what helps you determine like do you think it's what helps you determine like how many like how much effort you're going to put into supporting that campaign or does it always look the same 
Wow. Um, two great questions. So uh, first talking about how long are we tracking the campaign? Yeah. <laughs> Another one where it's like, there's no hard and fast answer. Um, it's yeah. kind of like, I feel like you should, if it's like a larger campaign, I suppose, if we were to t-shirt size campaigns, um, <laughs> six months. It's an extra at, large. Yeah, yeah, right. Six months <laughs> at least. Um, but really, I mean, I believe that you should be monitoring campaigns until you just start to see a drop off. And if yeah. you're if your content or whatever the heart of the campaign is very timely, like something like an annual report, then yeah, mm -hmm. that's probably something that we'll be looking at through the first nine months of the year, because then after nine months of the year, people aren't thinking about this year anymore. They're thinking about next year. Um, but if it is an evergreen piece of content, I mean, you can promote it for six months, let it rest for six months and then promote it again six months later. Um, because I totally. always, yeah. And I, so agree with you about how we do ourselves a disservice to being like, oh, we promoted something once people know about it and we're done. I mean, I always challenge people to think about themselves as a consumer and a content consumer and being like, look, all the companies you follow, you're not catching every single like campaign that they put out there. So you might catch something years later that they're still that they're re-promoting um, because we're all consuming so much content at once. And uh, there's just it's so easy for us to scroll right past it. Um, and then totally. Yeah. And so then also thinking about how much effort you put behind to support a specific campaign. I mean, I think that kind of goes back to when you're planning a campaign, you're always trying to measure like, okay, what's the input that we're going to put in this versus like our expected impact from it. So if it is something like a large annual report, like we might be investing money in it to work with a third party service to either do a survey or write the content or design it. Um, if we're in, if there are multiple team members involved, if this is a very cross collaborative effort, that's a lot of like input that we want to make sure that we're going to be getting the appropriate amount of impact and ROI from. So mm -hmm. I would say it's like almost like you want to have never articulated this out loud before, so bear with me, but almost like a teeter totter of like how much investment was there in this from a money perspective, a team member yeah. perspective, a company strategy perspective is this something that is like going to be our market narrative for the year you want to support it with the an equivalent amount of initiatives around it to make sure that you do see the result because our campaigns need help they aren't just gonna like reach our customers yeah. <laughs> themselves we gotta help them there so uh that's, that's what i would say for that yeah for sure i i love that and i think um i think what what i normally try and well, when I worked in demand gen and, and now working with clients, I think is like the, a, a lot of like certain things are just judged by like, oh, we did this before, or I'm going to do it this way again. And like, there's not a lot of like rethinking, but mm. I think to your point, like, I think the planning part, when we go into planning, sometimes I think it's always based on like what's worked in the past, but I think we want to challenge like what's working, try new things yes. and have a blend of that. And, um, I, I think also challenge the norm just because like your competitor yes. is doing something a certain way doesn't mean that you need to try and do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, if anything, just compare, you know, your own 
uh, you know, success and try and iterate on that and get mm-hmm. more and more out of like your campaigns, especially as you grow, like you said, or have you have more resources or, or more budget. But, um, yeah. but anyway, I want to stick to this part around like measurement. Yeah. And um, one thing that I think for um, marketers is trying to get a sense of kind of like, what are those key kind of indicators that like your brand activities are working? Mm-hmm. And like, what are some of those kind of like key KPIs? Because I think if we go into kind of what my next question is going to be is like, what are the KPIs leadership or C-suite cares about? I think this is something that like CMOs or head of content and brand like are trying to, um, you know, figure out like their narrative around it. Because I think now CMOs or CEOs even starting to care. They're like, I don't mm-hmm. want to be the CEO that doesn't understand marketing or doesn't care about marketing. I want to understand. So First, like, what are some of those kind of like key data points or even indicators to know, oh, my brand's working? Mm. And then how do you communicate those back to your C-suite or leadership team? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because, um, I mean, we all know that the C-suite is busy and we don't want to, we don't ever want to overwhelm people with metrics. So making sure no. that you're honing in on just like, what are the top level most important things that they need to understand to understand either it's working or it's not working. Um, so I would say like for brands, I usually would recommend that people focus on maybe only three metrics to show their leadership team. What those three metrics are, are going to be determined by your own brand strategy. But at least Mm. for me, my, my favorite ones for PR is share of voice. How many placements Mm. are you getting versus your competitors? Like what percentage of the total mind share are you getting about them? Um, generally, you know, you, of course you want to have the most, I would say 50% share of voice is a really healthy goal to work toward. Um, you can also get very fancy and and look at things like your referral traffic from PR, but really to keep it simple, I would say like, just focus on, on share of voice. Um, Mm. another one that I think is really important is, um, like as an overall health metric is, is web traffic, specifically organic web traffic and, uh, referral web traffic. Um, Hmm. you can get a little fancy there too, and sort of have like an SEO share of voice metric where like how many of the keywords are you trying to rank for? Are you ranking for versus your competitors? But again, I think to keep it simple, organic web traffic and referral web traffic are really easy for people to understand and, and like wrap their heads around. Um, Mm. and then social media, there's a lot that I could go into here that is super valuable in terms of, um, you know, looking at your engagement rate versus your competitors, making sure that you are the most, uh, interesting and engaging brand on there. Um, you can also look at, like I mentioned before, earned media value with social media, how much would you have to pay to get that following? But really for your C-suite, keep it simple. I wouldn't even say give them regular updates on your followers. I would say only bring those metrics to them when you hit major milestones, 10,000 followers, 100,000 followers, a million followers, um, because mm. it is it is valuable, but it's not necessarily something that I would say you need to be elevating um, all the time Whereas other things like the really high level external brand PR awareness plays are important as well as like just making sure that people are coming to your website. Um, yeah. And then, oh, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, no. I was just going to also, pro- you're probably going to talk about the next thing. But yeah. when you talk about like your campaigns or your content mm-hmm. and maybe not, you 
probably going to not go into too much granularity on that with your C-suite. They're probably going to be looking at revenue in a certain way. But like when you're looking at the success of that, what are some of the like key KPIs that you look at? Because I think for some people listening who are in marketing ops, they're they're trying to always figure out how can I support my team that's creating Mm -hmm. content? Like what are the insights that they want to see that and you know, that I can deliver to them. And what do you think from your experience has been like the the best types of like reporting to look at for that? Yeah. So um, content resonance. Ah, it's so important. It's so important. So definitely for content that is on your website, you want to be looking at Google Analytics, not just traffic to specific pieces of content, but time on page, please look at your Mm. time on page. Of course, your bounce rate, but really like are people spending five seconds on this page and then bouncing or are they actually, is it like a video and they're spending four minutes on average on your page? That's a Mm. long time for people to be spending on a web page. So that's a really high indicator of the fact that people liked it enough to consume, consume the whole thing. Obviously, if only two people have visited the page, maybe you don't want to look at it, but really looking at like a pay, what pages are getting a decent amount of volume and also the right amount of time on page. And, and similarly, for when you're distributing that content on your other channels, you can measure things like click-through rate on your email. For open rate, it's really just getting that subject line and maybe the preview text yeah. right, but making sure that is the, are the content topics even compelling enough that people are clicking on them? Um, to mm-hmm. get into, you know, the video or the podcast or whatever it is. And then similarly with social media, um, I don't really like impressions as a metric because it's literally, if you're just like scrolling really quickly, if it passes through your feed, they're, they're going to count it as an impression. And I don't really value that. But similarly, content consumption, you know, you have to watch like three seconds or something on LinkedIn for people to actually, for it to actually be counted as a view. So how many views are you getting on your content on social media? How many click-throughs, again, are you getting there on your content? Um, and then also, again, like, engagement rate like are people Mm -hmm. seeing your content in their feeds and engaging with it you know i think like 0.5 percent is a good engagement rate for twitter two percent is a good engagement rate for linkedin so if none of your posts are getting above those thresholds you probably want to reevaluate like what you're putting out there or how you're putting out there to your audience yeah i like the the mary like how you talked about google analytics Mm -hmm. but then also you know being able to track um, like your email performance and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. one thing that we will work with some of our clients to do is really rethink like some of our campaign structure. So having your campaigns really down to um, just like the offer or like that piece of content mm-hmm. and then having like a strong UTM strategy to actually see, yes. you know, what was the campaign or what was the source of like, you know, the offer like an email or, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, you know, from an email campaign nurture or from paid ads or organic. And so you can actually like stamp that on the campaign member. So you could do a little bit of a slice and dice to see, okay, what are those strong referral sources? Mm-hmm. Um, but the especially if you have content though, that maybe isn't, um, you know, isn't gated and maybe you're not including in um, emails um, just yet, but looking at Google Analytics is a good place Mm -hmm. to at least see. And like you said, maybe time on page to really see how much of that content is being 
consumed and what's driving there. Like, don't Mm -hmm. be afraid to go outside of your dashboards to view that. And I think working with that content person to then decide, okay, if we know what's working well from Google Analytics, okay, let's figure out a way to then disperse that content. So putting that back into your nurtures, into maybe your newsletters. And that's all things that you can track because you can tie it to the user. but be creative. There's things you can do even on your website for ungated content so you yes. can track people's consumption. Um, but And then all of that then tied to that campaign, you can actually see, okay, which which pieces of content um, or offers are actually driving like pipeline and revenue, which is the end goal. Yes. And so um, really, I think that's a strong campaign structure because also um, content's evergreen. There's mm. going to, like I said, it doesn't just like last like, that one time. And so having a place or that one campaign to track the offer makes it really easy to see over time, like Mm. what are our, our, you know, our referral sources or how much pipeline revenue are we getting out of it? So, yeah. And, um, I love that you mentioned UTMs too, because the last thing I'll say on this part is that, um, different types of content will do perform differently in different channels. So maybe blog posts actually are better in email and videos are better on social media. And then having UTMs can also really help you understand how people are consuming different content mediums uh, across different channels. Totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. I love the idea. And I think for people in marketing ops, like this is all things that you're whoever's like creating the content can do the analysis themselves, mm-hmm. but providing them those insights um, to, to look at that. Cause I think it's always in, about improving like customer experience yes. and how we can get in more engagement. And so being able to dig deeper is key. Um, all right. Well, I, I, we're, we're definitely a little bit over time, <laughs> but what, maybe just one last thing, any kind of like parting wisdom that you have for your audience, or if there's one key takeaway that they could take, from this, what would it be? Yeah, um, I. So sorry, no, we're over time. I'm gonna give you 1.5 key takeaways. So my my point. No, go ahead. <laughs> my point five takeaway is like, uh, you know, just it is not as easy, but there are so many sources of data that you you do kind of have to piece it together. Sometimes I'm talking about data from Hootsuite or data from Google Analytics or Meltwater or Semrush, but you know, be curious. You know, really, yeah. if you the more you can be curious about data and what's working, the better your content is going to be, the more it's going to resonate with your audience and probably the more satisfaction and joy you're going to get from your job overall. So there's, there's just so much richness, like lying in in various data sources that you can tap into. Um, And then my last piece of advice though, is just because you can be measuring one of the millions of metrics that I just threw out in the past hour um, doesn't mean you should. I see a lot of teams become, (laughs) you know, so, so tied to just measuring metrics that they're forgetting about strategy and trying to figure out how to use those metrics to, to drive growth. Like uh, I get it. What doesn't get, you know, measured doesn't get managed. That's true. But what is over measured, I would say becomes unmanageable. So find the right balance of focusing on the metrics that work for you and not the ones that make you work for them. 
Yeah, no analysis paralysis, yes. as we call it. Yes, <laughs> yes. There's a, definitely a fine line with that, but that's an amazing last thing to end with. Well, thank you so much, Brianna. Um, we're going to link to Brianna's LinkedIn in um, in the notes for the podcast, so you can go and follow her there. Um, and remember, she's the head of content at Inscribe. You also have your own website, I think, just highlighting your own kind of content that you do, right, Brianna? Yeah, I do. Um, it's just Brave Inc., Ink, like penink.co. And um, I, I write blog posts about marketing and crazy ideas I have related to it. Um, and then I also just share some of my work there. So everyone can feel free to go browse around on there as well. Awesome. Yeah. Well, if everyone enjoyed today's podcast, feel free to share it with your colleagues and friends. Um, and definitely hit like or leave a review. I know we haven't said this very much in the past, but it would definitely appreciate so you could get the word out there for forward thinking. Um, and we'll see you next time. Have a good one.